You're listening to the following program on TFN Audio from the Fantasy Network, where independent creators and fans of fantasy, sci-fi, horror, and gaming meet to create, stream, and support the shows that they love. Creator-distributed, fan-supported, that's TFN. Find this and many more great programs at watch.thefantasy.network slash audio. Master and Apprentice When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Buddhist Proverb When the teacher is ready, the student will appear. Taoist Proverb Spring 1. Mercedes Perez was used to the office being empty for at least the first half hour of the day. This gave her time to put on the coffee, go through the mail to sort the bills from the useful stuff, and read the first emails and social media updates of the day. She liked this solitary time, when no one looked over her shoulder. Not that Jim normally was the kind of boss who watched you like a hawk. If he wasn't out on a case, he usually sat in his office, sometimes speaking with one spirit or another, more often than not reading some of the research she had pulled for him. He didn't appreciate reading off the computer, and always had her print everything out so he could read it in hard copy. It was an odd habit in this day and age, but since he was over a hundred years old, she supposed he was allowed to have a few idiosyncrasies. Because she was so used to being alone this time of day, she was surprised when she turned the corner of the corridor and saw a man standing outside the office door. He didn't look very official in his leather jacket, shirt with no tie, and black jeans. But there was an air around him that still spoke to her of authority. He didn't look like the usual type of client to visit the Tempest Investigations office either, since they usually had a look of helplessness about them. So who was he? Cautiously, she walked closer and opened her purse for her keys. Next to them was the thirty-eight semi-automatic Jim had insisted she carry when she started working for him. She had never used it, but she had gotten used to having it in there. As Jim had once said, it wasn't like there would be any risks involved in being armed. In fact, the risk in being unarmed, working for a detective agency that dealt with paranormal investigations, was potentially bigger. She wouldn't want to face down a supernatural bad guy without having at least something to shoot with. Can I help you? she asked, looking at the man. He was blonde in his late twenties, and his eyes were a bright shade of blue. Strong in an outdoorsy way, with his skin bearing the marks of having been tanned many times. I hope so. I would like to speak to Mr. Corrigan. When is he coming in? Usually at nine. Do you want to come inside and wait? Maybe have some coffee? She unlocked the door and walked inside making sure not to turn her back on the man. Something about him felt off. She hung her jacket on the coat rack behind her desk and shook out her hair. You're pretty early. I hope nothing is wrong. You could say that something is wrong, but it can wait until nine. And yes, I'd like a cup of coffee. Mercedes gestured to the old couch reserved for clients waiting. Now that they usually had people waiting but the man walked straight into Jim's office and sat down in the chair in front of the desk. Excuse me, she began, but he lifted a hand to stop her. 
I'll take it in here. Cream and two sugars. Mercedes bit her lip as she turned on the coffee maker and started the first pot. Who the hell was this person? She was not used to being addressed like a waitress anymore, not since she'd left her parents' restaurant behind and came to work for Jim. Normally, the clients who came to the office were either sad from losing a loved one, wanting Jim to get some kind of message to the dead, or desperate, needing some kind of information that the deceased had possessed. Last week, there had been the old lady who wanted to know exactly how you were supposed to work the TiVo to watch the show she and her husband had recorded. Mercedes wondered if she wouldn't have been better off going to Radio Shack. The explanation Jim had relayed from her husband had meant nothing to either him or her. When the first bit of coffee had trickled through, she poured it into a cup, added the milk and sugars, and walked into Jim's office. The man had taken off his leather jacket and was looking at the books on Jim's bookshelves. He's got quite the collection here. All first editions, too. Jim likes books. He prefers them over computers, actually. What did you say your name was? I didn't. I'm Special Agent Andrew Picard. Mercedes nodded as if she had expected it. Inside, she felt a small bit of panic begin to stir. Well, here's your coffee, Agent. Thank you. He took the hot cup and sipped it. It's good. She returned to her desk in the front office and sat down in her chair, wondering what to do. Normally, Jim had a sensible arrangement with the local police, where a few of the officers were aware of his rather unique situation. These were people Jim had worked with many times, and who had accepted that there were unexplained things about him that didn't make it into their reports. In return, they got the assistance of a man who had been a cop before Al Capone had even picked up a Tommy gun. But the FBI had never, as far as she was aware, been involved with Jim. He tended to prefer flying under the federal radar. If Jim had owned a cell phone, she would have called him and warned him, but of course he did not. He detested them. If she met him in the corridor, she could warn him, but it would seem odd that she left her post now that the office was open. Not to mention the agent would be able to rifle through any of Jim's files he wanted if she didn't keep an eye on him. She blew air out through her nose. Her parents had brought her up with a sense of distrust of the federal government, and it was hard to put away, even though she had no reason to fear it. She had been a U.S. citizen since last year. On the other hand, it couldn't be something very serious, she thought to herself. If the FBI wanted to apprehend an immortal man, they would hardly send a single agent to do the job. The front door opened, and Jim walked in, almost on the stroke of nine. He was holding his hat in his hand and was busy adjusting the brim. He'd taken off his coat in the warm spring morning. Morning, Mercedes, he said, speaking through the corner of his mouth. His lips were squeezed around a lit cigarette, as they usually were. Morning, Jim. There's a visitor for you. She lowered her voice. From the FBI. Jim raised his eyebrows. This wasn't exactly something he had expected. Just one? Yeah, but he doesn't look at all like a real FBI agent. Jim, who knew that the agents, despite their dress codes and procedures, came in all shapes and sizes, cleared his throat. Thanks. I'd better talk to him, then. 
Would you get me a cup of coffee, please? Just when you have the time. Sure. Good luck. Jim hung his coat on the coat rack and stepped through the door to his office. Morning. I hear you're asking for me? The man on the chair stood up and extended his hand while holding the coffee cup in the other. Mr. Corrigan, I'm glad to meet you. I'm Andrew Picard, FBI. So I hear. Take a seat, Agent. What can I do for you? Hi, this is Klaus Holm, and I'm the creator of Tempest Investigations. If you like TV shows like Buffy, Angel, and Supernatural, you should check out Tempest Investigations. Listen to it on TFN, creator-distributed, fan-supported. He sat behind his desk and faced the younger man, who remained standing. Please, first of all, I say I'm with the FBI, but I'm not here in any official capacity. In fact, it's safe to say that there are those in the Bureau who would be rather cross with me for coming to see you, even in an unofficial capacity. But I felt, well, I needed your input. And second, please call me Andrew. All right, Andrew. What do you need my input on? Andrew sat in the chair across from Jim, picked his jacket up, and from his inner pocket produced an envelope. Here, take a look at this and tell me what you think. Jim opened the envelope, feeling the characteristic stiff surface of photos inside. Crime scene photos? In a sense, yes, but not from just one scene. Jim shook the photos out at his desk. There were about twenty, some older, some newer. Several were black and white. He leaned in and studied them closely. The photos showed various bodies, obviously homicide scenes, and from the setup, a woman, man, and children. Jim guessed it was families. The people in each photo looked like they had been killed the same way. Jim saw cutthroats, hangings, stabbings, and what must have been gunshots but each picture was different. So what's the connection? Is this some kind of serial killer? It looks like different ways of killing them to me. Take a look at the oldest one. Jim looked at the black and white photo Andrew pointed to. There was something familiar about it. It showed a man and a woman both slumped in lounge chairs in a living room. The front of the man's shirt and the woman's dress were black with blood from the stab wounds in their chests. Off to the side was a cradle of the old-fashioned kind that rocked. There were blood splatters on the side of it. This picture, he began, and Andrew nodded. I thought you might recognize it. It's from Chicago, 1932. And if I'm not mistaken, it was a case you were involved in back then. Jim went pale. Oh my God, you're right. They were called... McSherry or something like that? McShay, close enough. So, if you say you know I was involved, I guess it doesn't pay to play innocent about my age. You can play it any way you want. I know a little bit about you, yes. I know you have certain abilities that sometimes help in cases where conventional law enforcement gets stuck. I was actually referred to you from a mutual friend. Inspector Roger Charles? Jim relaxed a bit. Inspector Charles and he had a working relationship that stretched back years. Charles would not give out his name to just anyone. Inspector Charles told me you had practiced for a while all over the U.S. 
and I did some digging. I was lucky that I found out you were actually linked with the case, which made it a little easier to justify using the Bureau's resources. It's surprisingly hard to find you. I try to keep to myself. And yet, here you are running a detective agency and consulting for the SFPD. Inspector Charles told me he thought you might be able to give me a new perspective. Anyway, I'm glad you remember the McShays. They were the first that we know of. Since then, we've had one approximately every 15 years. By the same killer? Well, that's where it gets tricky. There's no motive to these killings, as far as we can see. No common element in the way they were killed. So as a rule, there shouldn't be any connection. But then I came up with something. Andrew pointed to the pictures. All these families were completely killed off. Except they weren't. In each case, one of the kids was missing. Usually the oldest, but not always. That kid vanished without a trace. They were registered as missing, but so far none have ever been found. So you think the killer takes a child as trophy? That was the original idea, yes. But, Mr. Corrigan, if you're Andrew, I'm Jim. Right, okay. Jim, then. But, Jim... There's no way the same guy who killed the McShays in 1932 killed the Sunderson family last month. It's been over 80 years. So, what, you're expecting the killer to be immortal? Wouldn't be the first time that's happened around here. We had a guy like that making a fuss around here just before Christmas. Andrew looked a little surprised but shrugged his shoulders. I don't know what I am expecting. But I thought that, perhaps, if someone had worked the first crime scene, he might be a valuable resource. I suppose that makes sense. So what do you think he does with these kids he takes? Honestly, I don't know. The psychologist in me thinks he's trying to recapture some kind of lost youth thing. Possibly a pedophile. I doubt it. He hasn't abused any of the other victims. Did you say the last victim was killed... Last month? Yes, in San Jose. Can we go take a look at things down there? I don't see why not. Not on the Bureau's dime, though. I don't know what you charge by the hour, but I'll have to pay you out of pocket myself. Jim got to his feet. I think we can handle a couple of hours in a car without payment. Mercedes, who came in with the coffee, stopped as she saw him standing. Are you leaving? We're leaving. Grab your jacket. We're going on a field trip. <laughs>